0: Welcome to Everything Just Changed. This is a new podcast with Bryce Hales and Brad Edwards. We are two pastors uh, planting churches in California and Colorado, and we are talking about what does it look like to follow Jesus in a post-Christian world, in a secular uh, culture. And Brad and I have been having these conversations for months, and then about a month ago, everything changed when the coronavirus hit and we went into uh, shelter-in-place mode. It just took everything and turned it up to 11. And so we've launched this new podcast as a resource uh, for ourselves and others, thoughtful Christians, uh, skeptics who may be wondering what in the world is God doing in the midst of this. And so really what we want to do is we want to ask the question, everything just changed, now what? And so in the last couple episodes, we've talked about how this might be a -a once-in-a-generation redemptive opportunity where God might actually be opening up opportunities for us in the midst of the challenges that we're facing. And then last uh, week, we really dug into this issue of secularism and what does it look like? And uh, what do we mean when we talk about secularism? Uh, Secularism, we often think of as this progressive worldview, and yet there are both sort of uh, right-leaning and left-leaning versions of secularism. Secularism is uh, uh, academic philosophy, but it's also a, a way that we live. In our culture, a way where, of living where we are sort of doing our uh, what is it that you like to say that our DIY spirituality? It's uh, it's the view that God can be, uh, life can be great without God at the center. And so we dug into that a little bit. And today, we what we want to do is we want to talk about how does God actually meet us in this storm?
1: Yes, absolutely. And one of the things that I think is super helpful, just in the way that we talked about secularism last time, was that this is something that does not is not just the has to do with people out there, outside the church. Like if you are a Christian, you live in the United States, uh, you're influenced by this. You don't even realize how much this has exerted pressure on you and shifted and changed the way that you see uh, your own faith. This is something that is relevant for all of us. And in many ways, this... This global pandemic has kind of accelerated and intensified the elements of secularism and this DIY, this do-your-own uh, identity, and this this way of self-finding purpose and looking inside of ourselves to to find this. And um, as Bryce and I have been talking about this, we realize that the storm that we are in the midst of experiencing is profoundly and potently. Uh, bringing all of those things that were uh, previously simmering tensions and things that were kind of underneath the surface and then brought them to the surface, poured gasoline on them, lit them on fire, and then used them as fuel for a
0: jet engine. Exactly. Um, yeah, Nothing. It, it's nothing's new in a sense. It's This storm is simply highlighting and intensifying everything that was there all along. Absolutely. And now we're having to, to deal with it and face it in uh, ways that we haven't had to before because it was easier to ignore. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And we're using the language of storm um, in part because uh, last episode we talked about how this whole dramatic change of circumstance and perspective causes us as pastors to look at passages that in scripture that we are incredibly familiar with and now have this this deeper multifaceted meaning that we didn't have before so for example when jesus is with his disciples in mark at the end of mark 4 and they're they're crossing uh, a body of water and they have this storm come up on them
0: they're all in a boat together
1: together and um when you think about what a storm is, right, a storm is the acceleration, significant acceleration of elements that are already there and present and active and doing things with you. Like whether that is a breeze turning into a, a gust, um, water is all around us, it's in the air, it's humidity, it could be drizzling, but then it's, it's a torrential downpour. Energy itself, electricity, lightning, sound, thunder, it is the hyperbolic intensification of elements that are already there. And similarly, some of the kind of cultural dynamics and the the influence of secularism and this DIY identity um, has been accelerated in ways that we aren't necessarily even aware of right now, but we're feeling it. Like we're not even consciously processing it, but it is absolutely affecting us. And we're feeling how 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 unsatisfying that is, and so it, right. Like we we've talked a little bit about how we are one of the most medicated cultures and peoples in history. There's been this underlying anxiety, and now we're using language like trauma to describe working from home, right? <laughs> and, and there's it, that's a real thing. I don't. I'm not saying that to minimize it or to blame all of all of that on secularism. Yeah. I'm saying it, it's, it's accelerated and accentuated by these things that we have been operating off, these things that we've been putting our faith and hope in that we didn't even realize we were doing that with.
0: Yeah, so let's tell the story before we dive into it. So Jesus and the uh, disciples, they're in a boat. They're traveling across this body of water. A storm uh, rises up out of nowhere. They're taken by surprise. The disciples are freaking out, and Jesus is asleep. It says with his head on a pillow and the disciples come to Jesus and they wake him up and they say, Jesus, we're about to die. Don't you even care? Mm. And Jesus apparently cares, stands up with a word, no incantations, no
1: like magical movements, no instruction manual he has to reference. Um, He just tells the, the wind and the sea, peace, be still. And it says that there was a great calm and a stillness that came across it and of course it's completely flat completely tranquil um so he says to them why are you so afraid have you still no faith and Tim Keller says in uh, his book Jesus the King uh, he, he makes this remark about how th- that could also be translated as um, where is your faith not have you still no faith like the, he's not shaming them in this moment he's asking them a serious question asking them to be as reflective as the mirrored surface of the body of water they're traveling across mm-hmm. and he's asking them where what is it that you are putting your faith in that is causing you to feel and experience this even more fear than the circumstance would cause you to otherwise. And it says, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and sea obey
0: him? Yeah. Right. So Jesus calms the storm and then the disciples really have something to freak out about because now there's somebody in the boat with them who can calm storms with his words. Yeah, so what in the world does this have to do with our current what situation? What does this like? have to do? So we talked about how we're all collectively experiencing a storm. And the unique thing about this crisis that we're going through is that globally, the vast majority of us are actually experiencing something very similar. Mm-hmm we're experiencing loss, we're going through grief, Uh, our lives have been affected in one way or the other. We're all going through the storm together. Yeah.
1: And you know, Bryce, you had a really great analogy when we were talking about this uh, of, you know, before there's a there's a significant difference between the wind uh, blowing at your back. And it doesn't feel like as you're walking along, it doesn't feel like there's any wind at all. So you don't even notice it.
0: Yeah, a year or so ago, I was on vacation, and we were down at the beach, and I was going to go for this run on the beach. And Uh, I'm not in great shape. I mean, I I run here and there, but I'm not in fantastic shape. And so I'm, I'm, but I'm like, okay, we're at the beach. I'm going for a run. And I, I ran down to this point. It was like four miles each direction. And on the way out, I'm thinking, man, like I must be in better shape than I thought I was. Uh, I feel great. This is amazing. And I got to the end um, where I was going to turn around. I stopped for a few minutes, caught my breath. And then I turned around and started coming back and I'm running into the wind and it was torturous. And what I realized is that whole time I was feeling great. It wasn't because I was in great shape. It was because circumstances were working in my favor. The wind was at my back and I wasn't aware of it at all. And it's in moments like this that the wind begins to blow in our face when we realize we're in the storm, then everything that's been there all along suddenly becomes incredibly difficult. Mm, Yeah. So now this crisis hits, we're all, you know, exiled in our homes. And what is that revealing uh, about us? What is that bringing to light that's always been there that we haven't acknowledged? Yeah,
1: well, and I, I think you can sum it up through this category of spiritualized individualism right i mean i'm in colorado like the, the narrative of of colorado is the the western individualist the frontiersman who can can do it all and and doesn't need the help of of others you know there's this there's this kind of uh progressive bootstrapping out here in a lot of ways that very much ebbs and flows with a spiritualized individualism and says, right, you can do anything you want. If you just believe in yourself, you can look inside of yourself, you can find the right answer, you can find the inspiration, and then you too can start Twitter. You know, you too can end up doing the the talk show circuits and describing and writing a, a autobiography bestseller about how you overcame the brokenness of whatever situation you were in. Right? That's the kind of um, the salvation that you achieve, and and then you too, like anybody, can do this if you just look inside of yourself and believe in yourself enough. Well. To put it bluntly, how's that working out for us right now?
0: yeah, yeah, so so secularism, if we're saying secularism is the idea that life can be great without God, that uh, I can kind of DIY my own spirituality, I can live a life of flourishing without acknowledging. The God who created then really is is what you' is the connection you're making here that that's the worldview that that we all are imbibing whether we know it or not and so what that essentially means is that at the center of my spiritual life is me
1: yeah absolutely I think and, and you know to
0: jump around a little bit
1: in this passage in particular when Jesus is asking the disciples you know where is your faith there's a sense that in that moment when they're in the middle of this crisis functionally their faith is in the strength of their arms to bail out water to trim the sail and to row and steer in the direction against the wind so that they don't get capsized right in that moment they are depending on themselves and in a, in a physical sense and in this in the same way this is revealing in in our own kind of spiritual lives, how much we have relied upon our own strength, our own yeah. strategy, and, and and pursuit of that DIY spirituality.
0: But the reality is that Jesus' disciples are fishermen. This is not their first trip in a boat. You no, know, <laughs> these guys know how to handle themselves in a boat, and so they they have been able to rely on their arms you know their strength their ability to bail water from a boat but it's when the storm begins to blow that they begin to cry Mm -hmm.
1: absolutely and and one of the things that we want to highlight in here especially is how we may feel like or think that our circumstances are a result of jesus being asleep at the wheel Right. And we like the disciples are asking him, don't you care if we drown? Mm. Right. Right. Because just like they've been fishermen, they also have watched Jesus's ministry up to this point. And they know he has compassion and a heart. But there's something about these circumstances that are affecting them more directly and more personally than than anything they've witnessed in in Jesus's ministry so far that is causing them to doubt it because it's a storm. It's an acceleration and an intensification of things that were already there. And when the circumstances demand our attention like that, it seems like Jesus is asleep at the wheel.
0: Yeah, and so this happens at the end of Mark 4. And if you go back through Mark 1, 2, and 3, they've already witnessed Jesus do incredible things. They've seen Jesus heal a paralytic man. They've seen Jesus teach crowds. They've seen people flock to Jesus, but they have not ever been the ones in need. And now the disciples are in a storm where they think they should be able to handle themselves because they're fishermen and they can't. And it's in the storm that they realize how much they actually...
1: Yeah, and and it's funny, I mean... Bryce, I'm sure this you, you can't relate to this at all. And I, I'm definitely not speaking from personal experience when I say that there's uh, probably few of us uh, who can identify with the disciples in this not being the only time that they've seen Jesus's compassion, that they have been, they are fishermen and they kind of know their way around, you know, a, a crisis. They've been in a storm before. And yet, at the same time, when they kind of just lose their minds in this, he doesn't condemn them. He doesn't shame them,
0: mm.
1: right? He he responds to them and provides a peace and a stillness in the midst of that that is provoked and prompted by their plea for help.
0: Yeah. When
1: they say, "Don't you care for a drown?" Right there, there's a there's a beautiful combination, right? This is this is this is a question that is asking for an answer, but it's also an expression of lament, right? There's an emotional honesty to this. That, is, that, that combines both doubt and trust at the same time, right? It's doubt because I actually don't know the answer to this question. Jesus, I'm looking to you for an answer, but that's the faith part because number one, they're surprised because they had thought that he did care. And their circumstances change. So they, they respond by seeking God in the midst of that. That is lament. Yeah. And that is more robust than any kind of kind of cultural Christianity or looking for a silver lining in the midst of the storm or bootstrapping your way through it. There's, there's an honest expression of faith that Jesus honors and responds to with grace.
0: Yeah. There's a huge difference between Jesus, don't you care as a question to Jesus and a statement, Jesus doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> right? And it's an expression of faith to look to Jesus and say, what in the world are you doing in the midst of this? Because I thought things were going pretty okay for me. And now I've been stuck in my house for five weeks. I miss my friends and I'm sick of my kids. And Jesus, I don't know what in the world you're doing here.
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, and what, what I love about um, just in, in terms of like, how do we, how does the peace And stillness that Jesus offers the disciples then translate to us now as we're in the storm. And I actually have my wife to thank for uh, kind of pulling this out in a way that is super beautiful and relatable. But um, the other night... I, I was having a, a day where I was just feeling really discouraged and and feeling kind of overwhelmed, like what's going to happen to the table and how do we respond in the midst of this and what what, what do we do? And, and like as we're going to bed, she kind of grabbed my arm, took me outside of our front door and she was like, hey, do you hear that? I was like, no, what are you talking about? She's like, exactly. <laughs> like we live, um, I don't know, probably a quarter mile from a, a major state route. And I did not realize that I could hear those cars every day until I didn't hear them. Mm. Right. I didn't realize how much of an ever present part of my audio experience in our home. I didn't realize how much that was always there until they, the stillness came until this peace came and this tranquility. And believe me, I've got a three-year-old tranquility is not like a large part of my day, uh, especially when you're working from home. But but you don't realize how much the storm is an intensification of what was already there. Until Jesus kind of clears the weeds and says, "Where is your faith? Yeah. Where is the, what is it that you are? Are you putting your hope in the ability to control the elements and the storm? Is it in you? Are you trusting and in, in believing in yourself? And is maybe that's why you're afraid right now, or or, or why your fear is greater?"
0: Yeah, and one one of the one of the realities that we've kind of talked about and, and seen during this crisis is, I, I mean, in my neighborhood, I see families out for walks together way more than I ever have. When I go to the grocery store like every other week, now people are just. A little bit chill. Everybody's much more willing to uh, let somebody go in front of them in line. Um, just j- people just seem kinder now. I mean, it's not to minimize. I'm sure there are also awful things happening. Um, we know that domestic violence has been higher uh, since people have been kind of quarantined in their homes. So, uh, not everything is good. But there is a sense in which a global pandemic has actually, this storm that it has brought about is actually humanizing us in ways that we were not willing to or able to walk into when we're kind of living in the frantic pace of life in the Western
1: Absolutely. Right. It's it's just like the principle of, uh, of fasting, right? Fasting is going without food in order to allow your hunger to, to get to the point where you are reminded that God provides. And that's the Lenten season leading up to Easter, right? In so many ways, this is a forced global fasting, a forced global spiritual discipline that helps us potentially if we if we pay attention to it it has the potential for us to to reprioritize and to rediscover what is more humanizing more more flourishing Mm -hmm. and more satisfying than this secular salvation uh plan that we
0: have been operating off of right i think what you just said actually is really important because it it has the potential if we let it and like we're all in this storm whether we want to or not, and yet not everyone is going to come out of the storm in the same way. And one of the things I think that the Bible makes clear is that we're all going to hit storms in our lives, and yet sometimes um, we don't find God in the storm. We bounce off. And, I mean, the classic example, I think, of this is Judas, tragically. um, Judas gets to the mm. point where he's not, when Jesus has been saying, we're, we're going to go up to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified. And three days later, I will rise again. You know, Peter, the rest of the apostles have no idea what Jesus is talking about. Um, but Judas says, no, I'm not going there. And mm. Judas refuses to follow Jesus in the way of suffering to find the, the nearness of God in the midst of the storm. And what he, what he ends up doing, he bounces off the wall he, uh, and he ends up, betraying jesus and so i think the the key is actually in jesus question because the disciples are in the storm we are in the storm let's be honest some of us are freaking out uh (laughs) just like the disciples and they're saying uh god where are you you know we're saying god where are you in the middle of this do you even care about us and jesus asks a simple question where is your faith?
1: Yeah, and I think that boils down the so what for this whole thing, right? The first thing we've got to do is do the emotionally honest thing and the spiritually honest thing and ask Jesus and even like ask at Jesus, like in a way that is maybe leaning into uh, that emotional honesty in ways that like we just wouldn't be comfortable with otherwise typically. Um, but to to say, God, don't you care if we drown? And And as we do so, and as we like, kind of reconnect with him in a a deeper, more honest way. Listen for his question of where is our faith? And not, like he's not asking this question as a, uh, you know, an altar call with a gun to her head. He's asking it gently and holding up a mirror, trying to help us see where there is opportunity to trust in a direction spiritually that is more humanizing, flourishing, and satisfying, period. And, and we see this, we, this is how the church has responded in history, right? Um, 9/11, right? If you look at 911, there's this great article on the Gospel Coalition that talks about how 911 sparked a church planting boom in the city of New York. Yeah. Um, because this was a city whose social fabric was so disrupted by the storm that was that tragedy.
0: Yeah, so before 9-11, there are very few gospel-centered churches in New York City. Um, Redeemer Presbyterian Church, where Tim Keller's the pastor, obviously was one notable exception. And yet Redeemer itself, I mean, it was a big church. Uh, Their attendance before 9-11 was 2,800 a week. Balloon to 4,500 a week um, after 9 11. Uh, when a crisis comes, when a storm hits, um, just the spiritual curiosity of people, people begin to flock back to church. Um, one report indicates that in 2010, If you if in December 2010, you were to look at all the Christian churches in the city of New York, 40% of those churches had been started since 2000. So kind of post this life altering storm for New Yorkers of 9-11. people are flocking back to church because people want to know you know it's it's the storm that drives us back to God it's it's uh, it's Jesus coming and saying where's your faith is it in your ability to muscle it out to just hold on and, and trust that your own ability is going to get you through this um, or is it actually time to say hey that way of living hasn't worked let's go figure out what it means to ask open and honest questions about Jesus. Like you said, this isn't this isn't kind of a false pietism of like oh we just have to have faith in Jesus. Um, sometimes the storm causes us to to shout at God, don't you care? But the promise of the cross is that our cry to God isn't going to be met with silence.
1: Yeah, and I think just to to maybe to put a bow on this and and ask the so what question like depending on who you are as you're listening, there's there's kind of a a major takeaway uh, for each of you, right? So if you are someone who's like, man, I've been tuning in to these two pastors that like, one has a pretty impressive beard, and the other one like runs here and there. Um, <laughs> th- those are even qualifications. Uh, but if, if you're someone who's, who's just like, yeah, I'm kind of curious what Christians are thinking, because some of my own uh, paradigms are are kind of crumbling and, and falling apart in the midst of this. Here Jesus's question of where is your faith through the lens of compassion that you can say pretty much whatever you need to like ask for help even if that Jesus don't you care. Like what the hell are you doing, God? And and Jesus like his compassion is pretty impressive. It's amazing. So if you're a Christian, like maybe you have been convinced before, but you're like the disciples. I thought what I knew was sufficient or enough. Lean into that and be encouraged that it is, it is almost always through personal crisis. It is when we are at our most weak that the grace of God becomes big and satisfying. And this is not, like, I don't care what your circumstance is. It is not, it is not a big enough crisis to limit what God can do. He can do anything and he wants to. He can calm a storm with his words, right? If you're a pastor,
0: like man, can we can we let, Bryce, let's talk to pastors
1: for a second because like
0: <laughs> we are there. Um so one of the things that I love about Jesus question when he says where is your faith? You know we have this tendency to think of faith as my personal private belief, something that is outside of reason or maybe even contrary to it, but faith biblically is not my private belief faith is uh, tied to a relationship and so faith we, we might think of it more in terms of faithfulness but faith is loyalty faithfulness to a relationship and so I think what that means for us and what that's inviting us into is not this idea that you will be saved according to the strength of your faith what this is inviting us to is just just to hold on just don't give up on jesus in the Hmm. midst of the storm and uh the call to to faithfulness is not to sort of like win the storm it's just to hold on and to not give up on jesus i love Hmm. uh liz vice is a uh i don't know if you're familiar with her music but liz vice has this great song called baby hold on and um the words of this song i think are just awesome she says um Because I know you're tired and damn, this takes long, and I know it's hard, but baby, hold on. That's the chorus. The call to faithfulness is just not to give up on God in the midst of the storm. And it's as we don't give up on him in the midst of the storm that we actually experience his goodness in a new way.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, because faith, like the word faith in Greek is often translated from the literal trust, the word we get, we use for trust, and What he's asking there is like, what are you trusting in for your peace, for your shalom, and for your, your spiritual security and anchoring in the midst of the storm? And he's saying like, your faithfulness to me, not the content or information about believe, but your connection to me hold on. I am a more secure anchor to root you in the midst of this turmoil and this storm.
0: Yeah. What's going to get you through this storm? Is it going to be me, Jesus is asking, or is it going to be your effort? What the storm is, is revealing is the reality that our effort is not enough, uh, that that our salvation cannot be achieved. It can only be received by grace.
1: That's awesome. Um. Maybe one last note as a kind of encouragement to pastors. Like, like, like let's speak to pastors too, because yeah. you know skeptics uh, and and those of you who are like kind of over the church and done with it. I hope this has been encouraging that you don't have to like check your either your head or your heart at the door. If you're a Christian, that definitely goes for you too. But it also, uh, you know, please be encouraged that Jesus is with you in the midst of this. And and as pastors, like. Let me let me just speak from my own personal experience in that it can be pretty easy to be discouraged. That when you're disconnected from your people, when you are struggling to know whether the time and energy you're putting into caring for them and whatever is 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 actually doing any good, uh, it can be easy to be discouraged. And paraphrasing Martin Lloyd Jones, that revival flows from men and women who've come to the end of themselves. Mm-hmm. And if if Jesus's question where is your faith, is is holding up a mirror to reflect back to us where we have put our faith and trusted in ourselves, our own efforts to achieve a dignity, value, and worth, rather than Jesus to, to provide it for us to receive, then this is actually going to bring us at least to the end of our efforts to save ourselves. And and potentially, if this truly is a globally shared experience of us coming to the end of ourselves, in many ways, this could lead to a lot of people coming to know Jesus. And like that needs to be our pastoral assumption for ministry. And I know that, like, even as I'm talking about this, I'm like, wow, we're really. People who are skeptical and um, are in full-time vocational ministry are both listening to this. But I think
0: that's part of, if if that is true, it's going to be because of this very storm we're in the midst of. Absolutely. Well, this has been great. So maybe we should just end where the passage ends with the disciples having experienced Jesus in the storm. Jesus asking them, where is your faith? The disciples just end in awe and wonder saying, who is this? We've seen him, we've seen him at work, we've been with him, and yet now we're just standing in awe of Jesus in a new way. You know, at the risk
1: of of making this a, a forced metaphor, you know, when the disciples say, who then is that the, even the wind and the sea obey him? Like my hope, just as we end this, is that as we are emotionally honest, ask Jesus don't you care if we drown? And we hear him and start to respond to him asking, where is our faith? That as we turn toward a satisfying alternative to what we have been trusting in for our hope to this point, that we would be asking, wow, who then is this that even in the midst of this storm externally, internally, I actually have a stillness and a peace that defies our circumstances and defies the the difficulty that's raging around us. And if you're listening and you're a Christian especially, um, that is the aroma of Christ that our neighbors will um will be able to to notice. Um, because that is a freedom that no amount of individualism can provide because it will free us to constrain ourselves for the good of our neighbor. Yeah. So I think that's as we end this today uh, and as we continue to talk about you know, what are the once-in-a-generation redemptive opportunities that God may use this for. He is in the midst of this storm for any and all of us. What are those redemptive opportunities we have to, uh, to pay attention and partner with what He is doing in the midst of that,
0: to put our faith in Him and not, and not our own yeah. And one of the huge invitations is to find Jesus as our peace in the midst of the storm. And so whether if you are a Christian or if you're not a Christian and the circumstances are leading you to just kind of freak out, you know, if you're having trouble sleeping through the nights, if you're waking up at in the middle of the night wondering how you're going to provide for your family, of course, those are legitimate questions. And yet it's still possible to have peace in the storm because Jesus is in the storm with you. And what we see in this passage and what we see as we see Jesus on the cross is that uh, God was willing to enter into the storm for us. And so whatever he's doing through this, it cannot mean that he doesn't care. Mm. Of course he cares because he was willing to experience the storm. He was even... You know, Jesus went to the cross, he was cast overboard for us in order to bring us back to God, in order to show us that he cares, that he loves us, and that he will keep us safe in the midst of the storm. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to Everything Just Changed. You can now subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, if you want to leave us a review, we'd really appreciate it. It helps us to spread the word. Next week, we'll be back exploring what it looks like to follow Jesus and love our neighbors in a post-Christian and post-pandemic world. And we'll be diving into the topic of community. What opportunities are there? And what are we learning about community when we're experiencing this time of forced isolation? So don't miss that. I'm Bryce Hales with Brad Edwards. Our theme music was recorded by Kevin McLeod and used under a Creative Commons license from Filmmusic.io. We'll be back next week on Everything Just Changed.